If you have your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 7. I, one of the things that I like to do, and and oftentimes you, you can't really narrow it down completely, I, I like to put chapter themes, book themes, verse themes, you know, keys to the Bible. And, I, and I've tried to, through the years, put those things to memory because it really has been helpful to me to be able to know, you know, oh, the book of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the King of Kings. Uh, the book of Luke, he's presented as the Son of God, or the Son of Man. The book of John, he's presented as the Son of God. The book of Mark, Jesus, and I go back and forth which one I like the most, but in the book of Mark, Jesus is presented as a suffering servant. But also, I like Mark chapter 7, because I think it sums up very well the theme of, of the book of Mark as well. And we sing a song based on this verse. You know the song that says, Jesus doeth all things well? Um, that comes directly from Mark chapter 7 and verse 37. Jesus does all things well. And I'd like for us to look at that thought tonight and consider what it means to have a Savior who does everything well. Uh, let's go ahead and just, for the context, read verse, pick up verse 31 with me. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis, the Sea of Galilee, and he brought, they, they brought one to him who was deaf, had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside, the multitudes put his, uh, took him aside from the multitudes. He put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched, spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, be opened. You notice I skipped the hard to pronounce word. But it means be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Have you ever seen, um, this is the contrast between the, the so-called miracles today and the power of Jesus. I mean, haven't you seen some guy in some miracle service on television or something, and they'll, they'll say, um, here, stand up out of that wheelchair there. And the person will stand up and he'll say, now walk down there and show them that God has just healed you. And, and they're unsteady and they're holding on and, and sometimes they don't do so well. Doesn't really look like much of a miracle. I know that adrenaline can cause a person to do a whole lot uh, when they get worked into a certain condition in states. Not so with Jesus. If you had a child... Or if you have a person who has been deaf, they don't hear the way they talk, and so they don't speak clearly. It has to be learned. But when this man was healed by Jesus, he spoke plainly. Um, there was no learning curve. There was no practice necessary. Jesus did it perfectly. And so... Um, he commanded them that they should uh, tell no one. But the more he commanded them, 
the more widely they proclaimed it. I don't think Jesus was using reverse psychology here. I've heard some people say or suggest that before. You know, he'd say, don't tell. And what's our first inclination? Go tell. You know, when we learn something. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus had a time frame. And I think that he was seriously saying, I don't want this broadcast yet. But they ignored what he said. I can understand maybe the people ignoring what he said more than the person who had been healed by him. I would have been afraid that he might have revoked it had I not kept the promise. Um, I don't know that the, the man who was healed didn't keep his promise in this context. but And they were astonished, verse 37, beyond measure, saying that he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. That is a unique statement because it cannot be said of anyone else who has walked the face of this earth. There are people that have done a lot of things really well. And there are people who have done some things really well. Jesus is the only person who, have ever, who has ever lived who has done all things well. I believe that's one of the themes, the major themes. If you wanted to put a little asterisk by that verse in, in your Bible in the book of Mark, I think that's a good one to cover. And that's what we see in the book of Mark. It's the shortest book in terms of teaching, but man, it is a book of power. It moves. It's, it's fast paced and it's just him doing one thing after another that ordinary men can't do. Jesus does all things well. Well, so here's the question. What does that mean to me that I serve a Savior who does all things well? I want to share with you four things that it means to me. Number one, I want to make sure that because he does all things well, I don't give up and quit trying. I can't do all things well. I've already said that. And that doesn't mean that I just throw my hands up and say, oh, well, I'm not Jesus. How many times have you heard people excuse their their poor behavior by saying, after all, I'm only what? Human. Listen, I want to make this point clear because I don't want us to excuse ourselves when there's no excuse. Jesus demands from us perfection. He does. Don't think God settles for imperfection in our life. He demands that we be perfect. But He makes provision for our imperfection. That's a whole lot different than saying, well, He's not really concerned about you being perfect. You know, He just cuts you slack. He lets it ride. That's not the case of God. A holy God cannot do that. God demands perfection. But he is a God who has made provision for our imperfections. When you turn to the book of Romans, uh, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is indicting the Gentiles. He goes through a laundry list of sins that, well, quite frankly, our society, our culture is wrapped up in as well. And when he gets done with that, he says, you guys are sinners worthy of condemnation. And I can just hear the Jews saying, that's right, preach on, let them have it. And then Paul turns to the Jews, the people of God, the ones to whom were entrusted the Scriptures. 
They had a covenant with God. They knew more about God's will and they had a written revelation than, than the, the Gentiles did. And he says, you are inexcusable too. Because God has given you every advantage. And you do the very things that you condemn other people for doing. You too are guilty of sin. And so he brings it all to a, to a head in chapter 3. And he says, all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, there is none, uh, verse 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. So, what's the use in trying? Well, I'll tell you what the use in trying is. Because God expects it of you. To say that we're not perfect isn't an excuse for not trying to be perfect. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10 says, um, if we say that we have no sin, we make God a liar. Uh, so, you know, let's not say that we're, we're sinless. But uh, Romans 6.1 also makes the statement that, um, or asks the question, shall Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's an interesting concept in John chapter 1 and verse 16 that God has given us grace upon grace. It's like accumulated grace. And so the more we sin, the more grace there is. The worst of sinners, if we were to stack his sins up and it was this high, and yours would only be this high, the worst of sinners, God's grace can cover it. It's grace upon grace. It's accumulated grace. So if I sin more, I get more grace. And since grace is a good thing, I go ahead and sin more? No, of course not. Why? Because God expects us to do better. We can't continue to sin that grace may abound. We have obligation. God has ownership of our lives. We're supposed to use, we're supposed to use our lives in His service. And so there needs to be some changes. Although we will never become perfect, here's what we need to shoot for. Do I do better than I did last year? I mean, am I a better person? Am I closer to perfection? than I used to be. That's Christian growth. We'll never master the walk that Jesus walked. But surely, as we live our lives and as we grow and mature in Christ, and year by year, day by day, month by month, we begin to look more and more like Him. That's what we need to be doing with our life. Don't quit trying because you don't do all things well. God expects you to. And when you fail, he's made provision for us. Here's the second thing that I learned, and that is don't think you're going to do all things well. Um, Proverbs chapter 6 talks about the sin of pride and how distasteful it is to God. It's listed, you know, if I were to list seven things that I God hates... I don't know that I would have thought about pride as, as being one of those, but pride is one of those things that God hates. And because, who are we fooling? Everybody knows, God knows, and our neighbors know, our co-workers know, with the best of us, there's still enough sin that clings to us 
that makes being proud um, distasteful? Who and how dare I come off with an attitude and look down on you because you have sins? Because I have them too. So God says, you know, be humble. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, there's, there's a guy by the name of Ahithophel. And David didn't take, or uh, didn't, John, I'll get it right, Absalom didn't take his advice. And because he didn't take his good advice as he thought it was, he went out and hung himself. Destroyed his life because somebody didn't think what he was doing was the best plan around. I'm never going to be perfect. Don't act as though you are. Let other people know that you understand. When other people make mistake, we, mistakes, we need to be people of compassion, not people who are calloused and hard-hearted. Because the day will come when I will be the one who needs the forgiveness of another. And, and when I'm in that situation, I want them to make it as easily as easy as I can to come back and to be reconciled. I don't want them to make me jump through hoops. So if I don't want that, doesn't Matthew 7 and verse 12, the, the golden rule of the Bible, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, doesn't that demand that I treat other people the same way? You're never going to be perfect, but don't quit trying. And don't think that you are going to ever be perfect because you won't be. And here's the third thing. Be patient with the shortcomings of others. That, that whole passage, Matthew chapter 7, you know, that's the verse that everybody knows. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. And, and we should know that. And we, we don't want to just dismiss it because it's been abused by some people as an excuse to sin. It still has a, a very clear message. Do not judge people in a wrong fashion lest you be judged in the same way. People make mistakes. And when they do, it's wrong for me to judge their motives. It's wrong for me to doubt their genuineness. Oh, can you believe? You know what they did? They committed this sin. How in the world could anybody commit that sin? They must not really be committed to Jesus. They must not really be converted. They must not really love him like I do. What would make us think that? Peter denied Jesus. Do we doubt his genuineness? Or was he just weak? He made a mistake. Look at how many sins. And look at your own life. Have you done outrageous things that you sure are glad nobody knows about? Have you been there? Have you done those things? Should we doubt your genuineness? Of course not. Be patient with the shortcoming of others. James chapter 2 and verse 13 reminds us that if we want God to show mercy to us, we have to be people who show mercy to others. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Romans chapter 7 explains why we do those things that we do that we don't want to do. 
He said, there's a battle. There, there's a warfare going on. It's, it's a battle between my spirit and my flesh. My, my flesh wants to do all the wrong things. My spirit says, I don't want to do those things. And sometimes my flesh wins when it's not, I don't want to. I'm just weak. I'm foolish. I make mistakes. But deep down in my heart, and God knows it, I want to do what's right. I want to go to heaven. The pull of the flesh just overtook me. If you can understand that in your own life, then why would we dare withhold forgiveness to somebody else who made a grievous mistake? We need to be a people who major in forgiveness because we have been forgiven so much. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus uses that parable. Peter has just said, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? How about, how about uh, up to seven times in a day? He was being gracious, I think, in that offer. And when you think about it, wouldn't you think that was pretty gracious? Imagine somebody not just hurting your feelings, not just making you go, well, you know, not that kind of a thing. How would you feel toward a person and about yourself if a person sinned against you seven times in one day? I begin to wonder. After I'd forgiven once, twice, three times, four times, how many hours are in a day? Five times? Six times? He did it again? Seven times? All in one day? If I'd forgiven him seven times, I'd be feeling pretty big. I'd go home thinking, wow, this has been some victory for me today. Jesus said, how about seven times 70? And he gives the illustration of the man who owed so much money he could never pay it off in a thousand lifetimes. And that man who had been forgiven so much goes to his fellow servant that owes him just a little bit of money and he says, I won't forgive you that debt. And he reminds us, if we don't from our heart forgive our brother, God will not forgive us. This fact that Jesus does all things well says to me that I need to be patient with you and and I want you to be patient with me because we're not going to be perfect. He's the one who does all things well. I don't. And so when I make my mistakes and when you make your mistakes, I'm looking for mutual understanding, mutual grace, mutual forgiveness, mutual encouragement. And here's the last point. Because Jesus does all things well, here's the fourth thing we ought to get from this. You need to hold him in awe and reverence. I think that worship, at least in the latter part of the 20th century, 21st century, has taken a turn for the worse in general because it's become about us instead of about him. It's become a mindset and an environment of entertainment and what do the people want as opposed to a solemn, honorable assembly where homage is paid to God and we're more concerned about what he thinks of it than what the guy down the street thinks about it. Here's what I think about worship. There are some things that are just too sacred to be sacrificed on the altar of entertainment. Worship is one of those things. It's not about us. 
It is about him. And while we may benefit and be strengthened and derive fellowship from this worship experience, the reason you're here tonight is it's this direction. It's to pay homage to God and to give him thanks and to be in awe of him for who he is and for what he's done. And when I lose sight of that, and when we're more interested in what will draw a crowd and, and changing things up to, to make people more people come and attend and, and boost a, a contribution number and boost an attendance number, we've missed the purpose of worship. Worship is about Jesus. And as long as we keep that focus, we may not have the most dynamic preacher We may not have the most dynamic song leader or Bible class teacher, and our congregational singing may not sound the prettiest or the best. Uh, You can go down the road and find something better. But Jesus will be glorified as long as we keep that thought in mind. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, when Moses led the children of Israel across the Red Sea, and the waters came back and collapsed on the the enemy that was, was following them, He looks back at that in in amazement and says, Who is a God like you? Can I? Did I just see what happened? Did we really just walk through this sea on dry ground and the walls of water collapse on the enemy and, and deliver? Are you kidding me? Who is a God like this? Micah asked the same question, not with reference to his miraculous uh, ability to deliver, but the deliverance of spiritual, uh, of a spiritual nature. When Micah considers the, the salvation, the forgiveness, the, the graciousness of God, he too asked that very same question, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your people. How in the world can you forgive us when we have been so high-handed in our rebellion? I can't get over it. That's the sense of awe that we ought to have when we come into the presence of a man who does all things well. John chapter 20 and verse 28. I would like, you know, when we do readings... And I like to read um, the Bible and listen to tapes of the Bible. And you may have one of your favorite readers of the Bible. But it's hard to listen when it's just kind of like, a, you know, if you click a computer and then you hear this robotic voice reading. Sometimes those uh, dramatic readings where you have, if a woman's talking, it's a woman's voice. And if it's a guy talking, it's a guy's voice. And those things kind of help... I think we miss uh, the emphasis that's sometimes made in some passages just because we're reading and we're not reading like it would have been spoken. When John in John 20, or Thomas in John 20, verse 28, when, when he misses that first um, appearance of Jesus and they said, Thomas, we saw, we, we, we saw, we touched his hands. He was here. Yeah, right. I'm not buying it. He said, I I won't believe it unless I get to touch my hands, my fingers in his wounds and in his side. And Jesus appears. And he knows what Thomas had said, even though he wasn't there. And he just says, and, and Thomas, and again, 
Thomas wasn't the only one who touched. All the apostles were asked to do this at the other occasion. But on this occasion, Thomas wasn't there. And so he says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands. Touch it. Here, right here. Put, put your hand where I was stabbed. And Thomas, I can just hear the, the sense of awe as he must have said, my Lord and my God. He, I saw you dead. And here's the proof. And you're alive. There's a song I wish we would someday learn here. I don't think it's in our songbook. Well, I'm, I know it's not in our songbook. But it, it's called Thomas Song. I can't sing that song without just getting this chill that goes down my spine. Uh, the message of Thomas saying, Now I believe. Jesus doeth all things well. He faced every temptation, Hebrews 4 and verse 15, just like we do, yet without sin. So what does it mean to me to serve a Savior who does all things well? It's not an excuse to give up trying because I can't. On the, on the contrary, what it does is it, it compels me to be kind and compassionate and forgiving to others when they make mistakes because I do too. And it calls me to hold him in reverence, um, to worship him, and to feel a sense of indebtedness to him. This one who did all things well and nothing but holiness was ever a part of his existence. He allows me, and more than allows, he desires me to spend eternity with him. It's incredible. But that's the God we serve. Jesus does all things well. You know, um, Daniel just led us in a song, um, You're Beautiful Beyond Description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can fathom your infinite wisdom? And I've forgotten the rest of the song. (laughs) But, you know, the, the whole idea that God, Jesus, is awesome. Let's hold Him in that regard. Let's never lose sight of that. And let's try to the best of our abilities to walk in his footsteps. And when we fail, realize we have failed God. It's not okay. It's not just swept aside. It's not just what we humans do. It disappoints God. It's sin. And we need to repent of it. And we need to be thankful that God is a God who's made provision for our shortcomings Maybe you're here tonight and you've not yet obeyed the gospel of Christ. You've not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. Take advantage of this provision that God has made for our imperfection. If you haven't done that, we will assist you in that. If you are a child of God and you have obeyed the gospel, but, well, you haven't been faithful, there are things in your life that are far short of what Jesus would have ever done or called you to do. Pray and seek his forgiveness and he'll forgive you. If you need to come, we'll uh, be at the front as we stand together and sing.